This is your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 136, listener Q&A. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad you are here. Today we have listener Q&A. We are going to be answering a question that an ass kicking podcast listener sent to us. And I don't always bring experts on when I do Q&A, but when I do, they are my most favorite people. And today it is Amy Smith. Many of you already know her. She's been on the podcast several times. She is my best friend in real life. And she is definitely the person I call on for counsel. And she's a relationship expert. She lives over at thejoyjunkie.com. And I think you're going to really like this question. It deals with all kinds of things regarding relationships, trust, intimacy, emotional affairs, and even marriage counseling. So there is sure to be something in here that is a nugget for you too. So I'm just going to jump right in. And without further ado, here is our listener Q&A. All right, we have Amy Smith here with us as our designated guest expert. I guess you are. Oh, congratulations! So <laughs> awesome. You're do you have awesome. any idea who I think I am? <laughs> I do. I do. Like, oh, I'm pretty clear. You know, I got this question from one of my listeners, and it's a really great question and a pickle that she's in, really. And you're the first person I thought of to come and help me out with this one. And I'm excited. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I'm excited to riff on this too. And I think people listening like that maybe even aren't in this exact situation. I think it will be helpful for you. If you're in a partnership or plan on ever being in a partnership in your life, I think this is helpful because we're going to get into a few different things that have to do with the way you are in relationships based on your family of origin, couples counseling and more. So let me debrief and read this question from one of our fellow ass kickers. So she says, my husband and I have been going to couples therapy for about a year now. We started going because I had an emotional affair with an old flame over Facebook for a few months prior, and we thought it would be a good idea to go. After several sessions, I thought that I was getting a good grasp on what I needed to be doing to help my relationship with my husband get better. Then I relapsed into the affair. I told him about it, and he was, of course, hurt. It ended quickly with the other guy, and we continued to go to therapy. A few months after the relapse, I relapsed again, this time with a different man, but still very long distance. I then wrote an email to our therapist asking him if I could talk to him in confidence about a certain situation, not wanting to go into too many details over email. He replied that he did not keep secrets for couples and that if I chose to disclose information to him, the therapist, I would have two sessions to disclose the information to my husband or he would. I then chose to not tell my therapist any more information. In our next therapy session, he reads the email to my husband and asks me to explain it. All of the trust I had for the therapist flew out the window. I lied. I made up some story I thought would be equally as shocking, and I still managed to piss off my husband. Months later, I am still involved with the other guy, but I am terrified to talk to anyone, especially my therapist or my husband about it. I feel that switching therapists at this point would lead me into having to expose my addiction and secret to my husband far before I am ready. What should I do? So that was her first email to me, and I wanted to gather a little bit more information, and I replied, and my first question to her, I said, why do you think that you're doing it? And she said, her reply was, I ask myself that a lot, actually. In my job, I deal with behavioral modification all day long, looking for the functions of problem behavior and replacing those behaviors with something positive. But I feel like my reason is more complicated than I am used to pinpointing. Maybe because I'm lonely. Maybe I'm doing it because I feel like I'm stuck. Maybe it's for the thrill. Maybe all of the above. And then I uh, replied again, and I asked her, do you want to leave your husband? And I said, it sounds to me that you don't want to leave him or you wouldn't be going to therapy, but you also don't want to stop having these emotional affairs. And her reply was, 
I do not want to leave my husband. I also don't want to stop having the emotional affairs. That is emotional affairs. That is definitely fair to say. And then I asked her to tell me a little bit more about feeling lonely because I wasn't sure if he was, if he traveled a lot for work, like was he never home and she was stuck at home with the kids. And so she specified and she said, my husband and I are both teachers. We work long hours and then come home to take care of our three elementary school age children. It's exhausting, but we usually manage to spend time together. Our therapy appointments are about an hour and a half away from home. So we turn them into date night. She says, I'd probably say it's more emotional loneliness. In the last email exchange I had with her, I asked her to describe briefly what her family of origin looked like in terms of feelings and emotions and vulnerability and, and things like that. And that's that's how I left the question. She says, my family, both growing up and now, is very religious, very strict, lots of rules, which I've always been good with. Everything appears to be good on the outside. We are put together. We smile. We don't offend. We are polite. At home, we build emotional walls and say nothing when we might hurt someone else. This is something my husband and I have been working on per our therapist's suggestion, reflective listening and such. My parents seemingly never fought. They never talked about sex, except to not do it until we were married. My mom stayed home and raised my five siblings and I and my dad worked. So that is our listener question. And there's so many places we can start. Can we start with the therapist? Yeah. Yeah. I have strong feelings about that one. When I read that part that I was like, what a dick. And I don't like judging other practitioners because I'm a firm believer in therapy in general, and in couples counseling. Here's my quick beef about that. I can understand why this therapist has that policy. I do understand it. However, the fact that she didn't know that from the beginning, I think is shitty. I have no other word for it except yeah, that. Which, should have been disclosed from the beginning. Absolutely. And I think that there's also this thing that gets overlooked sometimes in therapy. And it's something that is incredibly important to the coaching model. And that is a very, very safe place. And I can't tell you how many students and clients I've had tell me I've never been able to tell my therapist this. Mm -hmm. And, or they have told me blatantly, I lie to them. I lie to them. And I think that that's a systemic issue. I, and granted, we don't need to get into all of that. But I think that for a lot of people, there's two major reasons why therapy doesn't, quote, work for them. I think, one, it's prescribed to them. Like when you were little, your parents are going through a divorce and they forced you to go to therapy. So it wasn't something that you sought out and wanted to do. Um, or two, you genuinely aren't conversing with the right person. You don't feel safe. You feel judged. You don't feel a vulnerability with them. You mm -hmm. feel like they're a stoic person taking notes, telling you what to do. And I'm with you. I've had some incredible therapists and I think that there's phenomenal ones out there, but I don't think it's a matter of finding somebody, you know, in your network and you just call them up and all of a sudden it works out. I think it has to be a really harmonious connection, no matter what the practitioner is in order for you to feel safe so that you can process everything. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely agree with you too. I have no problem with the boundary or the policy, but that should have been disclosed to the couple at the very beginning prior to going into the conversation. Because, and I, yeah, well, I also, then he, she can't be the very first person that that's ever happened to with him. Right. And I don't think that was even necessary for him to bring that up. And I think that is very, like, she didn't disclose anything. She just reached out. He threw her under the bus. Like, <laughs> he totally threw her under the bus. And it's like, uh, so I want her to know or anybody else out there, like, if you don't trust somebody like that, fuck they betrayed your trust. Uh -huh. Of course. So there's nothing wrong with you if that's the case. Yeah. You know, please know that isn't okay. We wouldn't accept that from family or friends or whoever. We shouldn't, definitely shouldn't accept it from somebody who's in a profession that is supposed to be of service to us. Well, and I'm not a therapist and I don't want to ever say that I know better, but I just, my question and this is probably neither here nor there, but it's like, how do you think that that's going to be helpful to their marriage? And mm. especially in the place that they are already in, I just think it would have been so much better for him to say, hey, by the way, you're going to have to 
say something about this. Or maybe he knew she was going to lie, but I just... Uh. So anyway, what is she going to do going forward? I think that she should talk to him to the therapist privately and just and say what she told us like I don't trust you anymore like I understand that if you have that policy but a I really feel like it would have been more professional if you would have laid that out ahead of time and I don't trust you at all anymore what should we do yeah my first thought when I was debriefing this whole thing was she absolutely needs a different therapist. Yeah, absolutely. Like if you're going into a situation where you don't trust somebody and you are already apt to lie and the issue that you're going for is the fact that you're lying, it's not helpful, fruitful. Yeah. And I also wanted to say, too, we're taking this listener's word for it. That practitioner, that therapist could have actually told her from the beginning. We don't know that. Mm -hmm. So, and maybe she glossed over it. I don't know. We're taking the listener's word for it that he never told her that ahead of time, but we honestly don't know that. So just a little side note. Yeah. And then, so kind of switching gears, I think that this is complex and I wish I knew a little bit more about Again, not to shit on her therapist. Let's just spend this whole hour shitting on her therapist. <laughs> I just, and this might very well be because her and her husband aren't disclosing the deeper issues. And you and I are both a big fan of like, let's throw people in the deep end from the beginning and talk about the things that nobody wants to talk about. But I do think that there's something there. You and I have had this conversation recently. She said in the email that her therapist is having them work on reflective listening. And it sounds like he's helping them work on communication, which I think is fine and dandy. But I think that there are way deeper issues here. That's why I asked her about like what was being modeled for you as a child. Because my guess, again, this is like I know very little about this person and this couple, is that there's emotional shit going on. You know, neither of them are comfortable sharing full emotions and being totally vulnerable with each other. And then you have three elementary school age children. Like you have very little energy at the end of the day to put your heart and soul. And I'm not just saying heart and soul, you know, just to throw those words out. I'm meaning putting your heart and soul into your marriage. It takes a lot of energy and it takes a lot of looking at your own stuff. And I'd be really curious to know, like, what are they actually looking at? I don't know. I'm kind of like having a hard time gathering my words for this. But do you know what I'm getting at? Yeah. You know, there is quite a few things that she said in the follow up questions that you would pose to her that I thought were really indicative of this emotional detachment intelligence or mm-hmm. lack of intelligence. And that started, obviously, with family of origin, right? Mm -hmm. So she talks about, we're all good on the outside, but we establish emotional walls. Mm -hmm. Strict religious background. Right. Religious background, which we know is a lot of motivation from guilt and fear. Mm -hmm. If you grew up in any kind of dogmatic religious household, I would be willing to bet that you have are not unscathed by guilt. Now, there's a repercussion to that, right? Because we're hungry to not feel pain. We don't want to feel unseen, unheard, sad, guilty, shameful. We don't want to feel that, right? So we're always going to search out things that that make us feel good. Now, if it is something that's not being fostered in your current marriage and you can go and talk to this old past high school flame And for whatever reason, there is an emotional intimacy. Of course, that's addictive. Mm -hmm. You didn't get it in your upbringing. You're not getting it in your marriage. So, of course, you're going, whoa, this feels good to be really seen, even if it's fantasy, even if it's like not probable or, or likely that you would ever be cohesive in a relationship in real life. That doesn't matter. That doesn't dispel the fact that that gives you an endorphin high. Mm -hmm. Right. So. Compound that with what she was saying about feeling an emotional loneliness. When you said, is this a like a physical loneliness? You guys don't see each other. You're not having sex. And she says, no, I think it's really an emotional loneliness. Yeah. So I think, you know, and I've had a really similar situation like this in my own world where I was kind of reaching out and I talked very openly about it. This is many years ago. You saw me through this mm-hmm. where I, you know, was always reaching out to somebody who I went to college with and we would be texting and things like that. And 
you know, so I talked very openly about it with Mr. Smith and I was like, I don't know why I'm doing this. And this is again, anecdotal in my experience. So I just offer this to everybody to tap in and see if this could possibly be theirs. I usually think that it's one of two things. Either it's something that you're not getting in your current marriage Uh or it is like a legitimate thrill. Like there's something that's kind of like the, no matter what Mr. Smith did, he could never be brand new. Right. Like, or it could be both. I think it's both. It could totally be both. So when I talked about it with Mr. Smith, he was like, he was very in tune with that. And he's like, usually when people are doing that, it's because they're not getting something in their marriage. And I'm like, that's the thing is there's nothing missing. Like Mm -hmm. I'm super intimately connected with you. The sex is incredible, you know, but then I started really evaluating the circumstances that were around us. And I would reach out to this guy when Mr. Smith and I, our schedules were like two ships. So it was when I was feeling needy and I didn't necessarily have the time or the date nights scheduled with Mr. Smith because our schedules were so opposing. So it wasn't the lack of it being possible. It was just the frequency. It was when, you know, like we weren't as connected. So in her case, I think that both things are happening. I think that the need for emotional intimacy is probably lacking with her current spouse, compounded by the sheer stress of the operations and logistics of the house and the three kids, barely even having the opportunity for emotional intimacy with her spouse, paired with the thrill that she's likely getting from these connections. So we're interrupting this broadcast to tell you about something amazing. We have a retreat coming up that Amy and I are hosting, just the two of us. It is kind of like our love child, the self-love revolution. And we are going to Asheville, North Carolina, the beautiful Grand Bohemian out there. And we are going to talk about really, really important topics such as self-talk. I mean, who doesn't need work on that, managing your inner critic and worthiness? Because what Amy and I have found is that across the board, what all of the problems and issue come down to is how you feel about yourself. And most of us walk around not feeling good enough. That's right. And we oftentimes hear like, oh, just love yourself. And it's uh, okay. So I'll, easy. Just, I'll get right on that. So that's exactly what we did was break down four modules that cover tangible action steps that you can take to cultivate that self-love. So like Andrea mentioned, two of them are self-talk worthiness, that enoughness piece. And then we're also going to talk about self-forgiveness And also how our emotions impact how we feel about ourselves and how we engage with other people. And one of the reasons why we really wanted to be sure to cover off forgiveness is we found that, and I know, Andrea, you've mentioned this so much on your pod, talking about things in your past, that we have these elements from the past that haunt us, that really impair us from moving forward and cultivating kind of a love affair with ourselves. Mm -hmm. And what happened was, is that we rolled this out in the beginning during December, during Christmas, the holidays, which was, I know, a shit time for a lot of people to sign up. So what we have decided is that we are going to roll back the original price that we had during that time because the price was raised. And then we decided that we weren't going to do that. And (laughs) long story short, we have rolled back the price to the original early bird price and we have a extended it. So it's at the selfloverevolution.com. It's in the show notes. If you'd rather go over there and click what else? I think what's really important to know is, you know, when we talk about these sorts of retreats and getting away, there's this huge appeal to this gorgeous location and this connection with like-minded women and all of that stuff is amazing and beautiful. But what you have to know is This is designed to create a totally different relationship with yourself going forward. So we're going to talk a lot about how that will influence your day in and day out life Mm -hmm. coming back and what you'll really walk away with from our time together is clarity on the steps, action steps, techniques, tools that you need to get you to a place of self-love, how to better your relationship with other people, a systematic way to create more empowering self-talk instead of really listening to that internal shit talker naysayer and tools to actually 
work with your emotions instead of what many of us do, which is offloading them to other people, like on Mm -hmm. your spouse or eating like crazy or zoning out on Facebook for four hours. And, you know, not to mention you'll walk away with tons of new friendships with like-minded soul sisters. We're always talking about mm-hmm. that desire to connect with others who feel the same way we do. Yeah. And that, I mean, we've been teaching this particular topic for what, four or five years now together. And we have changed and tweaked the curriculum to really be about the topics that are the most important in cultivating self-love, which we believe is the most important tool in getting to be the place that you want to be and being proud of the woman that you are and really a place of happiness and confidence, which is what we all want. And just last thing real quick is that this is an all-inclusive retreat. So that means all your meals are included, all of your materials, all of your sessions with us, your accommodations, even the shuttle when you either arrive at the airport, we got you covered to come, or if you're driving in, we will pay for your parking. All you need to do is get your booty to Asheville all the information is at theselfloverevolution.com. We would love to see you there and be able to squeeze you in person. So please join us. Space is definitely limited. So if you are feeling the tug in your heart that you want to come, do not wait. Space is not only limited, but registration closes on February 23rd. So if you want in, if you have any questions, please feel free to email us. We are also offering a quick phone call. If you are like, oh, I'm not too sure if this is for me or not. Amy and I would be happy to get on the phone with you to answer any questions you have and just see if it's right for you. So we want you to make the best decision and we hope to see you there. I totally agree. I think that it's both for her. When I got this email last week, I really sat down and it struck me because I've talked about this on a past episode and I'll link in the show notes to that for anyone who hasn't heard the story because I'm going to be kind of brief with it. But my ex-husband, he and I were together for almost 14 years. And we were only married for a few of those years. So for the first, probably, I think it was nine years of our relationship, he and I were both cheating on each other. So it was never something that neither of us admitted until the very end when I actually finally caught him. (laughs) And that's what ended everything. But I've thought a lot about why I cheated. And, you know, when I asked her that question, like, how is it that you're lonely? I had a really strong feeling she was going to say emotionally lonely. And that looking back on the reason that I cheated both emotional affairs and actual intimate affairs, it was those two same reasons. And I'm not saying at all that her husband is cheating on her, but it's the same kind of disconnection and distance felt. And like you were saying, it's like when you have children like that and you both work full time, there is a good chance that you're going to feel disconnected in your relationship. So for me, we didn't have children. However, I knew pretty much that he was cheating on me and I didn't feel like I mattered deep down. It was like, you know, you don't really matter that much, Andrea. You're disposable. I don't really care about you all that much. Yet he told me otherwise. So it was that feeling of disconnection that I would get from other men that I was constantly chasing. And I was also getting that feeling although it was a false feeling of intimacy because I, I mean, it's something we all crave. We all as human beings biologically crave love and intimacy and connection. And I wasn't getting it in my regular relationship. So I was chasing it. And that's where my affairs happened. That's why they happened. And also, you know, I I don't know if she identifies this way. She does mention the word addiction, which I'm not sure if she feels like she's a love addict. But I was a love addict. It wasn't until my husband and I got divorced and I was introduced to that term at a workshop and I read a book on it and I felt like the author Pia Melody was describing my life. And it was the first book that I read where I was like turning the pages of my mouth hanging open, like, oh my God. It was a mixture of like shame and embarrassment and relief and just euphoria. Like, oh my God, this is what's wrong. And there's a different way. There's actually a different way because I always felt like something was wrong with me. But speaking on to the terms of love addiction, I was addicted to the thrill of it. I was addicted to the chase. I mean, that was my drug. And I have to be very careful. You and I were away on a weekend, girls weekend, and we were talking to our dear friend, Courtney Webster. And she asked the question, you know, because for those of you that don't know, I'm also sober from alcohol, too. And we were talking about comorbidity and different addictions and things like that. And I can't even remember how she posed the question, but she said, you know, to think about if you could go back to any of your addictions, like what does your gut say yours would be? And mine immediately was men. I would turn down booze. I would knock booze over off the table. Right. (laughs) 
to get to men and love and sex and relationships. And that was my drug of choice. And so for me now, since reading this listener's question, I've asked myself, what did I do to stop? Because the relationship I am currently in is the first long-term relationship I have ever been in where I have been sober, you know, from affairs, where I have been monogamous with him. And I had to think about it for a long time. Like, what is it about this relationship? It really is. I just had to make that stark decision to stop because I knew the repercussions because before I really did it and I kind of didn't give a shit. I didn't care. Like I wanted what I wanted right now. And now really a lot of it is self-awareness, the self-awareness that I know that that is going to bring me nothing but disaster, like absolute disaster from all angles of it. So I don't know if this is helpful to the listener or not, but it is just a matter of stopping and having to be in those really uncomfortable feelings when you want to reach out to somebody. Because this just happened to me when, when my dad died. Like, I didn't feel like I was getting what I needed from my husband, and an old flame PM'd me on Facebook to offer his condolences. Yep. And I was, I said, thank you, and and he was always really, really funny. And by old flame, I mean someone that I had cheated on my my (laughs) ex with. We actually were together for a while. We, You know, my ex and I had broken up, and... And then he said something funny in the email. And then I replied with something funny, you know, an inside joke that we had. And then he kind of like wrapped the email up because he's married with children. And and he kind of wrapped the email up. And I remember I had my phone in my hand and I'm looking at this email that he wrote me. And I was like, I wanted to respond. Like I wanted, I wanted him to keep emailing me. I wanted him to pay attention to me. I wanted that connection because I was getting a thrill from it. And I had to stop myself and just say, Andrea, he said, bye. He clearly wrapped up the email. There's no reason for you to respond. And I had to put my phone down and sit in those feelings of loneliness. And just, I think I might've called you and told you about it. Yep. So it's about reaching out too. So now it's like, I have all these tools to do instead of doing the old behavior that I'm used to that feels good in the moment. And that's what I encourage her to do is just... It's so hard when it's an addiction, but like, I can't tell you enough how much the self-awareness piece is so helpful. And it's because you're running away from shit you don't want to deal with. When you're reaching out to him, you are running away from shit. You're running away from the fact that your life is overwhelming. You're running away from the fact that your life is probably a little bit boring. You're running away from the fact that you're disconnected from your husband, that your marriage is in trouble. You know, it's like nobody wants to deal with that shit. (laughs) Of course not. not. And we're not given the tools. You know, we don't know. We go, oh, this feels better than being disconnected. This feels better Mm -hmm. than being overwhelmed, being a mom or being a teacher. And so, ooh, this feels good. And something that I talk about all the time is our human drivers are very basic. We're either in the pursuit of pleasure or the avoidance of pain Mm -hmm. as humans, as humans, period. That's why if somebody starts tearing up and getting all emotional, they immediately try to stop it. They don't feel into that. It's uncomfortable. And so they're like, abort mission, don't feel. Mm -hmm. What can I do to feel better? Let me eat all of this Haagen-Dazs. Like we're all, or whatever vice it is. And for her, it's her symptom is the reaching out to get love and affirmation from somebody else or affection from somebody else. So what I want everybody to hear is that that pull, that drive, is totally human and totally normal. It's like if you have a cut, your instinct is to bandage it up and make it stop hurting. We do the exact same Mm -hmm. thing with our emotions. But the thing that we don't realize, and you really pointed to this in what you were talking about, is sitting with that emotion is what makes us resilient. Mm -hmm. So when you actually give space to go, I am in the depths of despair because I'm dealing with loss. My husband is not with me. Like what you actually chose to do instead of reaching out to this guy. When you sit with that and look at dead in this face, it starts to lose power. Now, depending on what you're going through, the healing process is a variable. But I find that if you're able to really be with the discomfort, the disconnection in your marriage, the shit that you were programmed with when you were a child, and really look at that, instead of taking the easy go-to of reaching out to somebody, you're going to start surmounting that. It's going to start losing its power. And then you won't be as pulled 
to keep continuing this behavioral pattern. But right now, when you're looking at it, it's like, dude, this option over here sucks and feels horrible. This option gives me relief and makes me feel loved. Well, naturally, you're going to be pulled to that. So what I also want you to know, too, like in my personal experience, mine was definitely not a physical. Mine really was barely I wouldn't even categorize it as an emotional affair. I was fanning the flames. I was definitely kind of playing with fire, I think. Mm -hmm. And it was just kind of flirty text messaging. That's it. But I felt so convicted and awful about it. And what I really realized in those moments was what you water grows. So if I continued, like the first text wasn't that big of a deal. Then the next one started to grow into more of an attachment. And you know what I mean? And then as soon as I chose to stop watering it, it died. What happened? Like, remind me, because I remember when you were going through that. And I remember that you went through a phase where you were like unwilling to stop talking to him. Remember? Yeah, I did. I really dug my feet in because I was, first of all, I was in denial that it was even an issue. But you were talking about it all the time. (laughs) I was talking about it all the time. And then when I finally brought it to my coach, that's when I felt like, God damn it, this really is a bigger deal than I want to make it. Because I could easily write it off as harmless text messaging. Uh-huh. Right. And like for the most part, I would have let Mr. Smith read the text. Like it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. You know what I mean? So I felt, but I knew that what was happening for me emotionally was a bigger deal. It, it was wasn't a just feeling like, that you had. It was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think she has this too. Yeah. I think she knows. And I think that's why she's calling it an addiction. But yeah, I was really resistant. You know why? Because it felt good. You guys like Andrea getting sober. It feels better to drink than it does to muscle through and not drink. Mm-hmm. Like you have to really make that conscious choice that the immediate gratification is not worth the bigger picture. Yeah. And the thing with addiction too, is that there's a saying in recovery, it works until it doesn't. And I think that anyone who quits, you do have to get to that place where you realize it's not working anymore. So let me be a little bit more clear about that. So it might work for the 10 or 15 minutes that you get his text or his email or whatever. And, you know, Mm -hmm. you're, you're having this text exchange. It might work. And then what is the aftermath? Like when you wake up in the morning or you have to hide your phone or, you know, all of the things that we have to do when we're having affairs, which I don't recommend. (laughs) That's the worst. But, and it sounds like she's there. She sounds, it sounds like she's at that place where she knows it's not working anymore. Like it's not making her feel bad. And I want to mention one other thing too, that, I think that one of the things that my therapist told me that was so helpful when I was first with my husband, I found myself reaching out to some guy and I called my therapist right away because I knew what was happening, you know, based on my history. And I said, why am I doing this? Like my new person has given me no reason. Like I thought that my love addiction was because of my ex. I thought that he pushed me into the arms of these other people. And, you know, here I am with this new guy who I'm like, this is so weird. And she, one of the things that she said among the many things that she said, you're bored and you're scared. That's why. And so those are two very important things. I think like one, I was bored because I was used to drama in my relationship. I have no idea if that's the case for this particular woman. And I had to get used to healthy relationships, not having a lot of tumultuous ups and downs. They just don't. And then the other thing was that I was scared. I was scared to fully be seen for who I was. You know, the way I describe it here on the podcast is it's not that, you know, these truly intimate and beautiful relationships that we all want, like that you have with Mr. Smith. It's not about giving your heart to someone to put in their hands. The way I describe it is like you give them your heart to put in their teeth, their razor sharp teeth, where it could explode at any moment. And that is so incredibly scary. And I was so scared to have that. I was running away. I was absolutely running away. So I don't know if that's, you know, maybe she's at a point in her marriage where things are getting more intimate. Maybe they start making progress and she kind of runs away. And, you know, I don't know. There could be many variables as to why she's also doing it. That's right. You know, and it's something that I always like to talk about with vulnerability and intimacy is the amount of intimacy that you experience in your relationship is directly proportional to how vulnerable you're willing to be. 
So if you are not experiencing intimacy, it's likely that you are not being vulnerable. And again, to your point, that is scary as all hell, because a lot of times we've experienced something in our youth, maybe with a past love, maybe with parents that we depended on, where we were vulnerable and we were shamed, we were made wrong. And so we go, okay, being who I really am or opening myself up equals pain, equals hurt. Let me build up walls. And that's super common. We mm-hmm. all do it, right? But what you have to understand is, and this is what you're pointing to, in order to actually gain that intimacy that you're desiring with your husband, you have to start moving towards vulnerability. And it doesn't work if you just say, I'm going to wait for him to do it. In fact, I've said a lot of the times, I'm sure you've heard me say this, that the reason why Mr. Smith and I love so deeply and richly and intimately is the exact same reason either one of us could destroy the other one in an instant. Mm -hmm. Like we're in that deep. That's the whole thing. Like we could chomp down with those teeth And we're both in that deep, but we trust so wholeheartedly in the other person that they won't do it. But the risk is still there. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's really there. So I would love to give her a couple of step by step. Like, yeah, let's let's move in that direction. Like, what should she do now? Okay. so I wrote down a couple of things. Of course, first of all, (laughs) I like step by step. I like tangible. Here's what you do. Everybody Um, does. Okay. shoot. The first thing is you got to get a new therapist. Mm hmm. Okay, you got to get a new therapist for you as a couple, and you also have to get a new one for you individually. Because if we are really talking about addiction, or this feels like an addiction, like it takes everything in you to not reach out, you need some support. Yeah. You might have to go through a couple of them till you find somebody you trust. But that is imperative because right now, if, like I said, if the problem is lying, and you can't not lie with your therapist, you're wasting money and mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Okay. The second thing is, is you absolutely have to practice vulnerability with your current partner. Period. So what does that look like for her? Okay. The easiest thing, if I could sum up vulnerability, it is saying how you feel. It is talking about your emotions, like what is going on with you. So you can start with baby steps. Easiest avenue to that is gratitude. So have you ever had that where... You get a little uncomfortable if I do it. Like if I... I get a lot uncomfortable when you do it. (laughs) If I really say to you, like, Andrea, you mean so much to me. And I just want to say thank you so much for what you did yesterday or being there for me. That's vulnerable. So start with just gratitude and see, you can even make it a ritual or a practice and just say, honey, okay, I know that we need to start connecting on a deeper level and I'm committed to it. And I want to do that. So why don't we at the end of each day, tell each other one thing that we're really grateful for, one that that we're thankful for, or you can look each other in the eyes and say one thing that you really appreciate about the other person. And then the rules are the other person has to stay locked in your gaze because that's also vulnerable and intimate. And they all the other person can do is say thank you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to add something onto that. I love that. And I understand what it is, what it feels like to be in a marriage where both people work and you have elementary age children. So this is something Jason and I do. When we think of something, because I know how it is when you are home together and you're taking care of children and you're home together, but you're not together. And then what often happens is anyway, long story short, I don't want it to end up being like they're both tired at 930 at night and they are just going through the motions. So what we've done and is that whenever we think of it during the day, we text it to each other. And Jason's gotten a lot better about that too. And it like, I can't even tell you how much it means to me when I get a text from him and he tells me something like, and I don't know how her husband is with communication, but Men can sometimes tend to have a harder time than women do talking about their feelings. So it might be easier for him to do it in email. And, you know, it used to drive me nuts that my husband would send me emails, you know, about our relationship. But that's easier for him because he can sit down and think about it and not feel pressured and on the spot and so uncomfortable because if they're too uncomfortable, they won't. A lot of times they just won't do it. So that might work for her. Just like texting or emailing in the moment when they think about it. Gratitudes. Well, even even like texting regularly to one another. I mean, that's a piece of we're apart, but I want to stay connected to you. I mean, you can do that while you're taking a shit, you guys. Like, yeah. don't 
give me any bullshit excuse that you can't send a text. If you spend any time scrolling on Facebook, you can send a text to your spouse. Mm -hmm. So one of the rules that Mr. Smith and I have is we do not send any operational texts like, hey, what's so-and-so's phone number? Hey, what time are you going to be home today? We don't send anything like that unless we've said something really loving and kind first, like, Hey, hope you're having an amazing day. Been thinking about you all day today. What was so-and-so's number? I'm going to try to get that taken care of today. Just extending something kind as a precursor in that text is huge Mm -hmm. because it says we're more than just business partners. Yeah. We're not just running the operations of this crazy ass household. We are also in this together and it sparks up intimacy Another huge way to express vulnerability is to genuinely ask for help from one another. I mean, that's a piece of saying like, hey, I am so overwhelmed. Is there any way? It's so hard for me to even ask this of you because I know you're stressed out too. Is there any way that you would be able to take the trash out or could you pick it up and then express gratitude? Thank you so much for being willing to do that. All of that. Instead of being passive aggressive and walking by the trash and being like, piling more stuff on it. (laughs) Any time. You, I mean, it's a basic please and thank you. It's genuine please and thank you. Asking for something is vulnerable. Saying, expressing gratitude is vulnerable. And you can choose however you do it. You can do it in the morning, after the fact, via text, like you said. But I find that that's a very easy way to kind of enter into that vulnerability field. And then you kind of keep upping the ante with saying what's real for you. And you could even talk about how heavy something feels for you. Like, you know what, there's this student and I've just been really beating myself up about this and expressing what's happening for you on an emotional level in your work or things like that. But it takes baby steps. And I find that the basic please and thank you is first of all, manners. And second of all, It's easy. It's a go to. I mean, and we don't do that. You know, we oftentimes with our partners, I know you and I have talked about this a lot. We're so acutely focused on what we're not getting from them, Mm -hmm. the trash they didn't take out, the bill they didn't pay, that we forget to acknowledge all of the amazing things that they're doing. Mm -hmm. And if you just switch your focus for one minute, chances are there's a lot of stuff you're overlooking, ways that they were incredible with your kids, the bills that they did pay and didn't forget to do, the ways that they showed up for you. Yeah. So even acknowledging those things is a step towards vulnerability. Okay. So one new therapist for you and for the couple Two, practicing vulnerability. And I have a podcast that talks all about that, too, if you want to throw it in your show notes. Yeah, we'll throw it in the show notes. I think, too, for this listener and anyone who can relate to what she was saying, I'm going to link up to the book that I was talking about, Facing Love Addiction by Pia Melody. She also wrote a book on codependence. I think it's good. It's not not my absolute favorite, but I love Codependent No More by Melody Beattie. If you're a love addict, you're codependent. Uh, Not all codependents are love addicts, but all love addicts are codependents. So I think it's important to read that book or get it on audiobook and just kind of wrap your head around the behaviors and some of the tools that you need to gather up to start to move away from it. I also think, too, it's like I hesitate to say this because I worry that, like, I'm so far out of it. Like, I'm really trying to bring myself back to that place of being in it. And if somebody would have told me this, I would have wanted to punch him in the face. But I do kind of feel like because I stopped cheating on my ex once we got engaged and I did it because to me that was and this is just for me. It was sort of like it was a commitment. I felt like, okay, I mean, we had so many problems, (laughs) but I felt like, all right, he's committing to me. I actually believed I think I wanted to believe that he would stop cheating on me once we got married, like we would get married, we would have kids and we'd live happily ever after. I believed that. And so for me, I was done. You know, I got the commitment that I wanted and I was done. So I wonder if it would be helpful to tell her like I just kind of wonder, too, it's like, why are you going to marriage counseling if you're not ready to make the commitment? I just feel like she's lying to herself. She's lying to herself. She's lying to her husband because she's not ready. She's not ready to take the commitment. So she needs to decide when she's going to be ready. Well, you know, in her defense, there's nothing in the opposing side that sounds appealing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's more appealing to stay locked in the addiction because you can't trust your therapist. Mm -hmm. It doesn't sound like 
I'm making this up. You're being given a lot of tools to cultivate intimacy and vulnerability in your marriage. I don't know how willing your partner is to work on that. So of course the opposite is going to be more appealing. So you need to do everything in your power to change your current set of circumstances so that you can set yourself up for success. The other thing that I would really advocate doing, because a lot of times, you know, even she wrote it in her inquiry, when we go to behavior that we're unsure why we're doing it, we get lost in this thought spiral of why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And you never really get that answer. So I would change the question to what am I craving in this moment or what is missing in this moment? Like right when you reach out to text or right when you reach out to type an email, what am I desiring? What am I hungry for? Whatever the question whatever the verbiage is that really resonates with you, but there's something lacking in that exact moment. So instead of going, why? I would have never been able to answer that question when I was in it. I hate to interrupt you, but like never, even when I was drinking, even when I was active in my alcoholism and somebody said to me, what are you really hungry for? What are you really desiring? I would have been like a beer. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I think that yeah. people, when they're active in their shit, they have a hard time digging that deep. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Because in the moment, what you want is you just want, you want that connection. And so it might be a different question. It might be, what am I running from? You know, what are you running away from? And I think too, like this would be a whole nother podcast, which you don't have time for, but like this might come down to values too. It's like, what's important about the way you live. I'm certain that it is not important the way she lived to be lying to her husband. I mean, obviously she reached out to us. She wants to stop. She does. But I wanted to just point out one thing is that I don't want her to think that her stopping needs to be contingent on her husband's behavior or getting a therapist that they can trust. Like then I'll quit. No, like it doesn't matter. Her husband could tomorrow turn out to be a total asshole or they'll never find another therapist. I have no idea. I think my point is she has to do the work on herself. That was the only way I was going to get out of all of my shit. Love addiction, codependence, eating disorder, alcoholism. And sometimes now today in 2017, it's workaholism. I have to be really careful. And it's every day be diligent about my own stuff. And all of it comes down to like this emotional and spiritual work on myself and looking at this stuff that is not fun. I'm not going to sit here and tell you like, it's amazing. And I love it. There are plenty of days where I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. But what's the alternative to go drink again to go hide? Because when you're hiding, like what she's doing essentially is like she's hiding who she is. She's hiding her real self because it's scary. I get it. And that's the theme that we've been talking about here is vulnerability. And it is scary, but it's the thing that connects us. That's what she really wants at the end of the day. I am sure and I'm sure you are, too, that like what she wants is love and connection and intimacy and trust. And the path is scary and a little bit uncertain, (laughs) a lot uncertain, but it's possible. It's shining the light on all of your shit. A lot of it is from childhood and doing the work and gathering the tools and hopefully having your husband by your side who is going to be in the mess with you. There's a song out, I'll link to it. Vance Joy wrote a song called Your Mess Is Mine. And it makes me cry every time I hear it because it's like this song about you come together with people and each other's mess. Like if you want to be in relationship with people, whether it's intimate friendships or these romantic partnerships, like you got to see each other's mess. Like you got to, you know, like when you come over to somebody's house and they're like, sorry about the mess. It's like, well, my house is messy too. Like (laughs) it's just, it's the way it is. And I hope this was helpful for her and for others listening and life is messy. It is, you know, and I could not agree that, If she doesn't get a hold on her own personal behaviors, what the belief system is that's propelling her, it doesn't matter if it's her spouse. It doesn't matter if it's another husband in the future. Mm -hmm. That pattern of behavior isn't going to change. Those are symptoms of what's underlying for you. It's your personal behavior. But, you know, and so you can pick and choose like whatever question might help you. But you could also ask what do I not want to feel right now? And sometimes it's just straight up loneliness. I don't want to feel lonely. Loneliness is crippling. It sucks. But I would also say, you know, and this comes down to what you were speaking about as far as how committed are you to changing this behavior? Like when you got sober, you were like, I'm 
committed. You weren't wavering. You weren't like, maybe you were like, this is going to suck. I don't want to do it. It's going to be painful, but I've made this choice. And I really think, again, like I said, whatever you water is going to grow. Mm -hmm. So if you are serious, like a hundred percent committed to changing the trajectory of this affair and this emotional affair, you have got to delete, block, remove phone numbers. You got to delete. You have to. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's like an alcoholic being like, you know what? I'm just going to go hang out in a bar. Yeah. And just see, no, I'm not going to drink. That's what it's like to continue to have them as friends on Facebook, in your phone. Can't do it. And that for me, with that situation I was sharing about earlier, that was the hardest step for me. Mm-hmm. because it was taking away, like I had to block him on Facebook. I deleted all emails, numbers I had for him. So, I mean, I had to eliminate him completely from my world in order to set myself up for success. So that if I did have a little too much to drink, I didn't naturally go over to the text. So I would really look at that. Can you delete, block, unfriend, get any of them off your radar to make your job easier? hmm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we gave her an earful, mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot to think about. And I think this is common. I mean, whether or not someone's out there thinking about, you know, because we're all tempted from time to time, I think. And and hopefully it was helpful. And of course, I always love riffing with you and, and teaching with you. And everything is in the show notes, yourkickasslife.com forward slash 136. Amy's podcast episode, the books we mentioned, Whatever else we mentioned, it will be there in those show notes. And go see Amy at thejoyjunkie.com. That will be in the show notes, too. And until next time, ass kickers, I will see you out in cyberspace. Bye-bye.